Good morning, everyone. My name is Ashley Matthews. I'm the lead pastor at Christ the King. And our apologies, we did not get the sermon recorded from Sunday. And so I wanted to take some time uh, just to re-record it for you now, uh, because I think this is an important text. It's also a really difficult and complicated one, um, but I think a powerful one. And um, anytime that I'm really challenged by a moment in the Bible, um, it feels like an invitation to lean in and to take it particularly seriously, maybe to wrestle with it a little bit longer. So I want to just make some space for us to do that together. So we're going to read and then pray and uh, just make space for what Jesus might have to say to us uh, today. So come Holy Spirit, we're going to read from Luke chapter 16. We'll start in verse one. This is the parable of the dishonest or shrewd manager. Uh, then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I decided what to do, so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes." So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager, because he acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth or mammon, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you've not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, with mammon, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, be with us now wherever we are. Lord, I pray that you would uh, lay hands of peace on us and that you would close the space, Jesus, that exists between us and you, that you would in a way that only you can, Holy Spirit, give us the ears that we need to hear Jesus and the eyes that we need to see ourselves and the world around us. Will you help us, Lord? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is uh, obviously not a simple or easy story, not a cute story. Parables never are. Um, They're not like fables. Um, They are not simply meant to tell or explain, illustrate a kind of moral lesson, although they certainly do have a moral component. They do teach a lesson. The point, the aim of parables is to unsettle, to provoke, to cause us to rethink uh, in particular, long-held assumptions, things that feel settled in our minds and hearts. Jesus told these stories in order to like confuse and provoke some of that thinking. So that if you find yourself reading a story like this and sort of you know leaning your head to the side with a confused look on your face and feeling kind of frustrated, I think we're feeling exactly what we're meant to feel. 
And uh, that's not because um, Jesus is just being ornery. That's because uh, he hopes that our instinct will, in a moment like that, be to lean in. Uh, Like when you struggle to hear someone and what they're saying, and you want to, you lean in in order to hear them better. I think that's meant to be our posture with the parables and maybe with this one in particular. So that's our first sort of invitation from the Lord this morning is that we would um, lean in. So help us, Holy Spirit, to hear what Jesus is saying. Uh, He tells a story, a parable that goes like this uh, in short. Um, There is a rich man uh, who has a lot of assets. He appoints a manager to manage his properties, uh, but the manager squanders his assets, the boss's assets. So immediately we're alerted to the fact uh, that this guy is uh, not great at his job. He's just been fired from it. Now, the rich man comes and says to the manager, you're fired, uh, but you better make a report of the damage you've done before you go. And now, all of a sudden, this manager is motivated to work, presumably, in a way that he has not been working up until now. So now we're alerted to another fact about him that's not so great. Not only is he not good at his job, but he's also a little bit of a scuzz. Uh, He couldn't be troubled to take care of his boss's assets uh, when they were his bosses for the sake of doing his job well. But when his own interests are threatened, uh, all of a sudden he is a fount of creativity and initiative. I just think that's uh, kind of a funny moment. It's a bit of humor in the text, a little Bible humor for you. Uh, We're not meant to see this guy in a favorable light. Jesus is painting an intentionally very negative portrait of of a person. This guy also, it gets worse. Um, He can't imagine doing honest physical labor because he says, admittedly, he's not strong enough. It's just sort of one of my favorite statements in the Bible. I I can't, I can't possibly dig. I'm not strong enough to dig. How how could I with these hands? (laughs) Uh, So because he's not strong enough uh, to do honest work, he has to resort to what Jesus calls dishonest means. So this guy is not exactly a hero. The manager calls in all of his boss's debtors. This is his, his grand plan, is to get himself out of a tough spot. And he is motivated to his credit uh, to get himself out of a tough spot. And the way that he does this is by reducing the debts that people owe his boss. Likely by shaving off, we're not told this in the story, but perhaps it's implied given the cultural context, What he does in order to reduce the debts is to shave off the likely inflated commission that he charged people in the first place. So a lot like a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated because they charged people taxes, which of course everyone knew they needed to pay. But what they people really hated and resented them for was that they would, on top of the tax, they would charge them a kind of commission. So they would inflate the rate and then um, take the extra for themselves. Uh, So in effect, extorting and pillaging their own people. people didn't like that. And so this guy has been effectively doing the same thing. But now he's reducing the debts and it's a win-win for him, for the manager, because he's applauded by his boss for his shrewdness and he gains favor with those he's forgiven because now they owe less money. So he's worked himself out of a tight spot. He's played the game well, in other words. And so here's where I want to pause, because this is important, and 
the reason it gets confusing is because in other stories that Jesus tells, like the story of the prodigal, for example, uh, we're meant to see in the character of the father, for example, uh, a likeness to God. That father is in that story as God is to us. And, and therefore, we just sort of take that template and we put it on all of the stories that Jesus tells. When actually, in this parable, what Jesus is doing, intending to do, is draw a kind of contrast between the ways of the world, one kingdom, the ways of mammon, with a capital M. Uh, the w- phrase dishonest wealth in the English uh, is in the original language, uh, the word uh, mammon effectively gets personified. It becomes a kind of noun. Uh, it's a shorthand for the ways of the world, not just money, but the way the world operates, the kingdom of the world. So Jesus is drawing a contrast between that kingdom and the people who treasure its treasures, who value its worldview, who play its game really well. He's contrasting them with the ways of his kingdom with his disciples, with their treasures. But he is drawing a kind of comparison. He is, in effect, saying there's something for us to learn here from these, as he calls them, children of the age, who are so committed to their kingdom, who are clearly so motivated to pursue its treasures. According to the worldview of the children of the age, it's not loyalty, honesty, integrity that matter. Those are not the treasures of that kingdom. It's things like wealth, security, self-interest, mammon. Mammon loves those kinds of things and teaches us to pursue them. So the master in the story applauds the manager who Jesus calls dishonest on purpose to alert us to the fact that he is a person belonging to the ways of mammon The master in the story applauds him, though, for his faithfulness, is the word I'm going to use, to his worldview, to his kingdom, for valuing its treasures and being motivated to pursue them in ways that will guarantee that he he gets what what he wants. But Jesus is doing something sort of tongue-in-cheek or telling us something slant rather than outright, which is what makes it sort of frustrating. This is the part where we have to lean in is that the contrast isn't immediately apparent. We're not sure. It's like, is Jesus um, commending this person for what he does with the money for his dishonesty? And that's what it can read like or sound like at first glance. But actually, of course, no, Jesus isn't commending him for his dishonesty. What he's commending him for is his commitment to his worldview, to his value system, to his kingdom. Jesus is in effect saying, look at how committed or shrewd is the word that he uses. Literally skillful. These people are who live their lives for money. Even though it has no lasting value and costs them their integrity and their souls, Look at how committed they are to getting its treasures. And without saying it, the question sort of implied that Jesus is now leveling at his disciples and to all of us by extension. The indictment against the Pharisees to whom he was speaking was the children of the age know what they treasure and they know how to get it. Do you? If we were playing for money, would you be more motivated to pursue the treasures of the kingdom of heaven if you were being paid for them? And why 
Do we hold on to money, to the ways of mammon, so tightly? We really do love it, I think is the thing that Jesus is trying to point out. When Jesus says the thing, um, that uh, incredibly and admittedly uh, enigmatic statement that he makes about making friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it's all gone, they'll invite you into heavenly homes. What's he saying? Jesus is making a point to say two things at once. One is that money and the ways of the world is inherently um, dishonest. It lacks integrity, so much of it, our pursuit of it, our love of it. It's not good for us. The way that we should be spending money, however, which we can't avoid doing, is to do it redemptively. Use it, but use it for the kingdom's sake. Forgive people their debts, in other words. Do justice with the money that you have. So that when all that dishonest nonsense is gone, when the money is all gone, the people that you have advocated for, that you have forgiven their debts, that you have done justice towards, those people will then welcome you into something that's far better, into an eternal home of sorts. They'll welcome you into the kingdom of heaven that you now share together. True riches. Everlasting life. It's not easy to see on the surface, but the point that Jesus is making is such an important one. Jesus says outright, he says, if you have been unfaithful in a very small thing, which in other words to him is money, money is ultimately a very small thing according to the kingdom of heaven. How will you steward the big things, which according to the kingdom of heaven, to that worldview, are things like spiritual gifts, peace, healing, forgiveness, the power of the spirit. How will you steward true treasures if we can't learn to be faithful with something that's utterly useless, really, according to the ways of the kingdom that doesn't mean all that much in the end. We invert the order. In other words, we value ultimately the things that are not ultimate. And we devalue those things that Jesus is saying are ultimate. We treat financial mobility, prestige, social power, like it's what we must have. And they end up driving and motivating so much of what we do. Which is why Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon or the ways of the world. Because one master is going to put money in your hands and say this is everything. Make much of you. Make much of it. However you must. Just don't go to jail. Because that would be bad for you. But go and be rich. Get yours conversely or contrastly to the ways of the kingdom, which puts the gospel, the Holy Spirit in your hands and in your heart and says, go and make much of God, make much of love, make much of peace and forgiveness, put money in the service of this kingdom, into the service of justice and elevating your neighbor, the love of your neighbor, forgiving people their debts, even if it hurts and when it hurts you. So that they can be free and you can be free. And these two masters, y'all, are diametrically opposed to one another. That's what Jesus is saying. You cannot serve them both at the same time. 
The irony is that this is a story, if you zoom out far enough, about a man who is charged with stewarding assets for his boss. And the way that he ends up doing that well is by giving people hope through the forgiveness of their debts. And that way, it is like the kingdom of heaven. Because the job of the disciple is not all that different. We've been entrusted with assets, with spiritual gifts, with the good news of the gospel. And we're meant to be giving people hope, forgiveness, relieving the burdens that they feel so that they can come closer to God. In that way, and in that way only, are the stories the same? Or are they being compared in a positive way? I've been hearing for most of my life that money's neutral, um, that it's the love of it that's bad. We love that verse. You know, it's not the love of, it's not money that's bad. It's the love of money um, that's the root of all evil. As long as you spend it well, you know, it's okay. And that's obviously not entirely untrue. Thank God that there are Christians who have a lot of money and do good things with it. But the reality is that Jesus warned us about the power of money, the temptation to enslavement to money. He, He warned us about that quite a lot. So it's not neutral any more than something like fire is neutral. Fire can do and does do a lot of good things. We have to have it. But I don't let my kids play with it. You know? I have a responsibility to make sure they know what it is and what it can do. How harmful as well as how helpful it is. It has its place and it has to be watched carefully. And so that's the question. Are we stewarding it well? Have we put the small thing, as Jesus calls it, which is money, have we put it into the service of our true master, our kingdom, to the kingdom to which we say we ultimately belong? Or do we? Where is our true treasure, you know, is in Luke's gospel the question that Jesus will come back to time and time again? Where does our treasure really lie? And are our lives designed, are they being put into the service of that kingdom and the pursuit of those treasures, really, or not? And this is the thing that I want to make sure that I say, and here's where we'll end. I don't believe that ultimately this is a story about just shaming us or condemning us for the, how much we love money, our commitment to it, our enslavement to it even. Again, that would just be a tragic missing of the point. If we point our fingers at the way other people spend it, or if we thought that Jesus was just you know coming to make us feel bad. Jesus' whole point is, as I said in the beginning... His aim is always to liberate us and set us free. So if he's ever coming to take something out of your hands or out of your heart, it's so that he can put something more true, more substantive, better for you into your hands and into your heart. It's to give you abundant life. It's the only motivation for taking lesser things away. It's to give you something more true, true riches as Jesus calls them. There's a quote from Frederick Douglass where once he says, I didn't know I was a slave until I realized I couldn't do what I want. I didn't know that I was a slave until I realized I couldn't do what I want. 
And so the, the question that I'm asking myself is, if what I want are things like spiritual peace, if what I want is to see people around me heal when I pray for them, if what I want is the kind of abiding joy, even in difficult circumstances, if what I want is the ability to forgive, if I want those treasures and those things, am I free enough to pursue them? Because those are the treasures of the kingdom of heaven. Those are the things that Jesus as my master can give me. And so am I free? And the question that he's asking specifically in this text is if money ultimately holds power over us, if that's what we really want, is that kind of security or that kind of prestige and power, then it's going to cost us other treasures. You can't pursue them both ultimately at the same time. The treasures of the kingdom of heaven will cost you in the ways of the world. It just will. But ultimately, Jesus says, this is where real life is made available to you. There's something more real and more true that he's come to give us. That's what it means to say that he is our redeemer and our savior. So help us, Holy Spirit, to hear the words of Jesus this morning, to take an honest assessment of ourselves, Lord. Give us the eyes to see. Jesus, where in our own heart we have been serving or attempting to serve two masters. And Jesus, will you put us today, will you help us, Holy Spirit, to recommit ourselves to the ways of Jesus in the way that we spend ourselves, Lord, our time, our money, our energy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. Go in peace.